welcome, welcome to another edition of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. I think Colin's working today. I, I don't know where he is, but we have a very capable replacement. He writes for Grizzly Bear Blues. He is my favorite Grizzlies follow on Twitter. Joe Mulenax, how are you doing? I'm doing well, buddy. I appreciate you having me. It's uh, it's exciting to be here, and uh, there are some good Grizzlies followers on Twitter. So for at Joe Mullinax to be the one that is uh, the most popular in your eyes is quite the compliment. I appreciate that. Number one, Grizzlies Twitter is my favorite Twitter because, like, every fan base is irrational. But the things that Grizzlies Twitter gets irrational about are it's, – it's pretty special where, like, there are factions that's like, are we sure Dylan Brooks shouldn't be banished to Siberia? And then there are ones who are like, are we sure Dylan Brooks isn't the next Kobe Bryant? So I I think the range of opinions you get on Grizzlies Twitter really exceed even any other fan base that I deal with. But I have to confess something. When I initially asked you to come on the podcast, I did it before the play-in round thinking, oh, they're going to lose either the Lakers or Golden State. You know, whoever wins that or whoever loses that 8-9 game is just going to beat Memphis and that'll be that. So I asked you before that game and you say, well, you know, let's see. They might have a playoff series. And I was like, okay, I'm not super optimistic. Let's maybe plan for next week. And then lo and behold, they not only beat the Warriors, but they give the Jazz a great series in the first round. Yes, it was five games, but they were five very competitive games. And, like, I don't think it's crazy to come out of that series thinking, like, in a year or two, Memphis could be on the other side of this. Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate you. I wasn't going to bring that up for the record. I, I appreciate your honesty and transparency and, and mentioning that. No, I, I think that the thing about this Grizzlies team that was the, the reason that I said that was, first off, Golden State was kind of overrated and not, not Steph Curry being overrated. Steph Curry's phenomenal. But the rest of that team, like there was, I think he had a seven-man rotation going, eight-man yeah. tops. Well, that that and, team used more minutes on G League caliber players than like right. any decent team I ever remember. And that's a compliment to the the brilliance of Steph Curry. Like I'm not saying that he is overrated by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying that I went into that Golden State, not not the first game that would have traditionally been for the eight seed and Memphis would have been eliminated. The the second game for the play-in spot, I thought the Grizzlies were going to win. And I believed that because I believed in what John Morant was capable of. I thought that they had an advantage down low with Jonas Valanciunas. And they had uh, the the depth advantage. The Grizzlies just have more depth at this point. Obviously not maybe when Golden State is healthy. But when at that stage of the play-in, Memphis was the deeper team. And, and that's what fleshed out. So it was, it was good to see them get that experience, that playoff battle scar kind of thing. I had Jazz in six. Uh, so I was one game off from that. Um, you know, a lot of folks had Jazz in four, and that genuinely would have surprised me, given the gumption of this Grizzlies team and the way that Ja Morant has played, especially in that play. And I wrote a piece about Ja, part of our player review series over at GrizzlyBearBlues.com, and just kind of reflected on what he did during those couple of weeks there between the play-in and the series with the Jazz. He's a superstar. You know, th- there's still questions about this Grizzlies franchise, but one thing's for certain, they've got their number one. They've got their dude that every team needs to have to be a championship contender, and it's John Morant. So there's other things that still need to be fleshed out, but at least for now, we know that the future's bright when you have John Morant on your team. Well, I think getting those battle scars, usually what happens when you're picking number two overall is you kind of punt away two years just building up the roster, right? Getting more lottery picks. Well, they make the play in Jaw's rookie year, and like, Okay, they lose to Portland, but there's no shame in losing to Damian Lillard in a one-game setting. 
And then they make the playoffs the next year and they give Utah like a real series. All of a sudden, all of these traditional milestones that you have to get to as a young team, they're already there. So I don't think it would be that crazy to say, well, okay, they were number, technically they were the eight seed this year. Are they going to be number five next year? And then like number two in two years? I think that's up for discussion. Like, I think there's a real chance that in two years, they're one of the best teams in the West. A lot of that is going to depend on what they do this offseason and next offseason. Those are the two inflection points for them as far as roster building goes. So that's kind of what I want to get into here. Let's start with John Morant, just because you brought it up that he's a legitimate superstar. I also think it's fair to say he made five threes in that Warriors game. That's probably not something he's going to do very often. So before we get into any other parts of this roster, A, how concerned are you with Josh shooting? And B, how much stock do you put into this as far as building the rest of the roster goes? I would agree with you that he's not going to be a Donovan Mitchell, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, you know, average three threes a game kind of guy, or even more than that. I, that's, that's fair to say. He's not going to be a volume scorer from that range. But I also think it's fair to say that given the way that Morant is capable of playing in terms of his athleticism, his ability to get to the basket at will, like the Utah Jazz could not defend John Morant. They and the Utah Jazz nobody. have Rudy Gobert. <laughs> Right. Well, but Rudy Gobert and John wasn't afraid of Rudy Gobert and neither were the Jazz at large. Um, They were not scared of trying to attack Rudy. They were more than confident in doing that. Now, they weren't successful all the time, but I I do think that the mentality of John Morant, even more so than the physicality, is one of the reasons I'm so optimistic about what this Grizzlies team can do. They don't care that they're young and they don't care that they weren't supposed to be in the spots they were in. The outside perception of them is meaningless. They are very much intrinsically driven and focused by what they believe is their goal, and that's consistent success and sustained growth. And they've done that these first two years under Zach Kleiman as the GM, officially as the GM, and with Taylor Jenkins as the head coach. You know, they've gotten better, and progress isn't always linear, right? Like, you're not always going to have a team that is better just because the record's better. And we went into the second season thinking that way there was a realistic chance that they missed the play-in entirely and be better than they were in that bubble season. That and was exactly that, what I thought was going to happen. Probably. And that was my expectation, too. I thought that they would be the 10 seed, and they would have to fight their way up the play-in and have an, you know likely not make the playoffs. That was my thought. And they achieved better than that, and they were both record-wise and in terms of play better than that bubble team was. So John Morant's the straw that stirs the drink. Is he going to be able to shoot? I think he was shooting 40% for a stretch there in April and May. And is that probable for him to sustain? No, it's not. But could he be a 35% shooter for his career? Yes, I think that is possible. You look at his shooting form, you look at his mentality and desire to improve as a shooter and as a, as a player in that way and in general, Uh, To be honest with you, at this stage, I'm more concerned about him defensively than I am his three-point shot. But I think he can get better there, too. And all he needs to do is be a 35% or or so excuse me, shooter from beyond the arc. If he does that and he has enough range that he has to at least be respected from there, teams are not going to have a way to stop him. Because if you go and try to fight over those screens that are set for him in the pick and roll, nobody's going to be able to stay in front of him. And if you just keep going under, if he's successful enough from three, again, around 35%, that he's able to make you pay for that as well, 
he's going to enter that unguardable territory given how explosive he is and how well he plays off the dribble. So it's a fair thing to point out, but it's also fair to point out that as the season went on, his percentages got better. He was shooting something like 24% from three at one point during the season. And I think he finished a little over 30% or right around 30%. So that means he had a hot streak, like I said, April and May, where he shot right around 40. I could see him being a streaky guy like Dylan Brooks from range, but I could also see him being somebody who establishes himself just enough to make defenses' lives more complicated, which is the last thing they need because John Morant's already pretty darn good. Well, first of all, he makes free throws, so it's not like he has a broken shooting form. Like That's right. something that always it's encouraging as far as three-point growth goes. The other thing I would say is we saw this with prime Russell Westbrook. You can't go under screens on him either because all that does is give him a running start. And if you True. give Ja that much momentum, like I'm sorry, you're just not going to stop him. I look at what Donovan Mitchell has done to the Clippers as like the last level that a guard needs to get to, which is that they have to get to a point where they have some answer to every single coverage. And we saw this, especially first in game one, he switch hunts Luke Kennard to death, but okay. Then the Clippers stop switching. They open with a Vita Zubac at center. They start playing drop coverage. So Mitchell just says, okay, cool. I'm going to stay, take pull up threes. And he made a bunch of them. Then they started blitzing in the second half. Okay, cool. I can hit a wide open Rudy Gobert under the basket. That's the last. That's the last level for superstardom among guards, having an answer for every single pick and roll coverage. I don't think Ja is there yet. I think what teams are going to do at the highest levels, and what Utah did at the highest level, was just say, "Okay, we don't trust you to shoot, so we're going to play extreme drop coverage." But Ja does have an answer to that. It's just not pull up threes. It's floaters, which is what Memphis does better than anybody. They take a billion floaters and they make a billion floaters. So I don't think, like, even in these earlier years, in these earlier postseason runs, before he becomes a great three-point shooter, or even an average three-point shooter, he at least has an alternative. Like, he can do something that answers that coverage, whereas, like, I remember 2017, San Antonio plays this super extreme drop coverage against James Harden, and he's just totally flummoxed by it, because he never takes anything in the mid-range. Like, Ja is already ahead of that point. I don't think they're ever going to play a playoff series where Ja is just you know, totally wiped off the board by some defensive decision. Sure, I think there are off-ball concerns, especially with how good Dylan Brooks has become. You're probably going to spend possessions where Ja doesn't have the ball. But overall, I am very optimistic about him. I think Memphis should justifiably feel like we do have our star. We have the first guy. Everything after that, that's another conversation. But no matter what, we have a guy that we can rely on as like our best player. Absolutely. And you mentioned Dylan Brooks, like Dylan Brooks is a good example of those questions that we have, because anybody in Memphis, if anybody comes out and says, oh, yeah, I expected Dylan Brooks to be on that now, that ESPN graphic where he's under the 25 years old and he averaged over 25 points, whatever that graphic exactly was. And, you know, the Grizzlies are the only ones that had two dudes and Ja and Dylan. And you expected Dylan Brooks to be on that. Anybody in Memphis that says that they, oh, yeah, I predicted that they're full of crap. Like, that's not true. That's not that was not that was the very best Dylan Brooks we've ever seen during that play in and playoff, especially stretch. And he did it efficiently, which, again, that is not Dylan Brooks's M.O. So Dylan is a great example of trying to figure out coming into the season. There were some people on Grizzlies Twitter and on the blog who would say that they needed to trade away Dylan. I was not one of those people. I am of the belief that on the next great Grizzlies team, Dylan Brooks is probably a sixth man type like a Lou Williams microwave scorer off the bench can be a good 3 and D player. Dylan is really strong as a catch-and-shoot three-point guy 
which he doesn't get the chance to do a, a ton because the roster is still somewhat incomplete. So he's forced to be more than he normally is capable of being. But in this particular series against the Jazz and even in the play-in too, Dylan was a, a, rev, a, a revelation. Like, is he capable of doing this on a consistent basis? I don't think he is. But if he is, then you can start saying, oh, well, maybe Dylan is a starter. And maybe he is part of this new core four that people try to push that I'm not still sold on that idea. But maybe he can be that guy. And if he can be that guy, then it changes the calculus a little bit. I would need to see more than just a two-week stretch of time to reach that conclusion. But I do believe that Dylan Brooks, especially in this season, the way that he played, the way that he carried himself, he's the heart and soul of the team. It's not John Morant. If you want to talk about the swagger and the confidence and all of those things that a lot of folks pointed out with this Grizzlies team while they were still playing, that starts with Dylan Brooks. And it did in the bubble, too. The difference is against this stretch of basketball compared to the bubble, Dylan Brooks was a much better player. And it's easier to make that connection when you see the shots go in. In the bubble, the same exact stuff happened. Dylan just missed the shots. So it, it is really kind of fascinating. Dylan's almost kind of a perfect microcosm of our general conversation here. What are the next steps? I think Dylan Brooks has earned being on this team. He's reasonably paid. There's no overpaid contract on the Grizzlies at all, in fact, if you look at their books. They don't uh, have anyone on their books for next season over $14 million. Yeah, every contract. That's wild. Is, yeah, they, they Zach Kleiman, and I'm sure we'll talk more about him, is – is fantastic. Like he, he has earned the extension that he got. He is just as important. Everybody except John Morant, uh, Zach Kleiman is easily number one B with a bullet uh, in terms of uh, what has made this rebuild happen so quickly. Getting lucky and getting jaw will, will be one A. But you know, Kleiman deserves a lot of credit for the types of contracts he signed, for the picks that he has made. Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman. You know, they're up and down the list, the trades that happened, the Mike Conley trade that is so good. You know, one of those rare trades that both teams won. I think it's fair to say. I so it, it, it really is kind of fun to watch this team moving forward because they literally could do anything. They could run it back and you can make an argument for running it back and just having everybody come back. And you, you add the 17th pick in this draft or maybe you try to trade up to the end of the lottery and, and try to add talent that way. I think that's possible. They could take a big swing at a star, which I know we'll talk about here in a minute. And that's possible too. Maybe it's not probable, but the point is they have set themselves up so well that they have a bunch of tradable assets in terms of players and picks. And they can, like I said, they can just keep everybody the same because they believe in what they've built, or they can try to bring in that last dude. Because to me, one of my biggest takeaways from this postseason was John Morant is one of the dudes. I think they are still missing one more. I remember doing a Lakers podcast around the trade deadline, and we were kind of going in with the attitude of like the Daryl Morey, we have to increase our risk profile if we're going to keep up with, in that case, Brooklyn. But I remember specifically saying, I don't think my risk profile is ever going to be high enough to trade for Dylan Brooks because it's just the variance is so wild. What I will say that was consistent starting around maybe like March to April, especially, I think he's always been a pretty good defender by mm -hmm. like March and April. It really ratcheted up. And if you were watching them every night, you could see like, Oh, this is something very special to the point where like him defending DeMar DeRozan as well as he did in that playing game was no accident. Him having as much success against Curry was no accident. I think one of the core questions that we're going to have with this team is they trade for justice Winslow thinking, 
he is going to be our big wing defender. He's going to be the guy we throw it, you know, LeBron, Kawhi Durant, whoever. Well, that hasn't necessarily worked out, but I'm not entirely convinced that they have to go out and get another guy like that because they have Dylan Brooks. And now, don't get me wrong, I don't think Dylan Brooks is big enough for LeBron. I don't think he's big enough for Durant. But I'm looking at what we're seeing in this postseason in the Western Conference. It kind of feels like a changing of the guard where LeBron is sort of nearing aging out. Durant is going to have this run in Brooklyn, and then he's going to age out. Kawhi is, okay, Kawhi could have several more good years, but his roster doesn't seem perfectly equipped for the playoffs. So I think right now what you really need more than anything is somebody who can guard A, Devin Booker, and B, Donovan Mitchell. And I think Dylan Brooks can do both. Yeah, he struggles with Mitchell, though. And I think that what uh, Memphis in general struggle with Mitchell, and obviously the Clippers are too. So there are guys that, you know, they're going to get theirs almost regardless of what you do. I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. And I do think that is the perspective of this Grizzlies front office. I think they're looking at the landscape of the NBA and they're seeing that if it's not this year, because like you said, Kevin Durant could win a championship and, you know, the changing of the guard stuff kind of silences a little bit. But we're not far away from that. Right. In the next couple of years, the, the old guard of LeBron and KD and Steph, those guys are going to age out and it's going to be the league of Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young and John ja Morant. And that's going to be their opening to kind of make their move. So you, you mentioned earlier in the show the idea of, you know, the next two off seasons being pretty pivotal for this team. I think it's going to be the next one. I think it's going to be 2022 where they make their major move in this particular off season. I think they'll do some things around the edges. I think that there is an argument. We can talk more about it for them to move up or try to move up with uh, Indiana or Charlotte, you know, somebody late in the lottery and try to get uh, a wing in particular that they might be especially fond of. A bigger guy. Uh, they could use some size there on the wing. But I don't know that this is the year for them to take that massive swing. Because if your next step in progression is to avoid the play-in, and you want to be in that six-seed, seven-seed conversation, can they do that as constructed? Maybe adding one more young player that can give them some size on the wing and, and be a little bit sounder defensively or more sound defensively? I, I think they can. I think that is a logical thing to expect of this group is to be in the playoff conversation not the play in and they're you know around that five six seed throughout the season you mentioned they need someone to defend Devin Booker and they need someone to defend uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell I always use Luka Doncic because Luka oh, I was gonna is bring that division, up right like Luka and I've said that for a couple years now like part of building this team in terms of a rebuild is going to be who the hell is going to defend Luka Doncic because he is phenomenal like in terms of his skill set what he brings to that team I'm not saying he's going to be as good as LeBron because I think LeBron is LeBron but in terms of that kind of player for this next generation of talent I think Luca could be that if that makes sense and you he's need to have someone he's, getting, he's doing he's hitting the checkpoints he's doing the things that LeBron did at this stage right. of his career right 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 so I think that a Luca stopper because you have to get out of the division, obviously, and divisions aren't as important in the NBA. And I get that, but you're going to have to play him the most. Is my point. You're not going to see Booker. You're not going to see Mitchell as much as you're going to see Luca. So what are you going to do to try to slow him down once or twice at least uh, in in a season to try to keep you know pace in terms of tiebreakers and seeding and that sort of thing? And I think Justice Winslow is their hope for that. 
But it's certainly fair at this point to say that that hasn't manifested. Now, that's health-related, and if there was ever a season that would be terrible to come back from injury in, it would be this one. I think that's fair to say, and you can say that about Jaron Jackson Jr. as well. Uh, Jaron bounced back a little better than Justice, but even Jaron wasn't what he was pre-injury in the bubble. Uh, And Justice hasn't been what he was in Miami yet for the Memphis Grizzlies. So if your hope is for him to be that wing defender who can kind of lighten the load of Dylan and also be a facilitator and lighten Jaw's offensive load as a creator of offense, you know, that hasn't happened yet. The good news is, uh, and we talked about Grizzlies Twitter at the beginning of the show, uh, you know, folks like to compare Justice Winslow to Chandler Parsons, and that is in no way, shape, or form anywhere near the situation because the Grizzlies have a decision to make this offseason on Justice Winslow if they're going to extend him, if they're going to opt into his team option, if they're going to opt out of his team option. Zach Kleiman and Taylor Jenkins made it sound like in the end-of-year press availability that Justice was going to be back. But what that looks like, uh, that, that'll be an interesting question, too. And, you know, people point to that as the one failure of Kleiman and company so far. For me, I, I don't necessarily see it as a failure because the best player they lost in the trade was Jay Crowder. And I know folks love Jay Crowder, but you've mentioned following me on Twitter. I'm about as anti-Jay Crowder as they come. And the reason for that is the Jay Crowder, who's great for the Suns right now and was great for Miami in the bubble, did not exist in Memphis. He shot 29% from three, and he shot more threes than anybody on the Memphis Grizzlies uh, before that trade. So um, they lost Jay Crowder, essentially, because Andre Iguodala famously, you know, he went on the jump and all these other shows talking about how he didn't want to play in Memphis. And, and Solomon Hill, you know, Solomon Hill, in my opinion, was just as you know productive as a veteran wing, you know, combo forward big guy. Uh, Solomon Hill was almost as valuable, if not the same value as Jay Crowder was. So they lost those types of veterans that maybe would have helped them a little bit in the bubble to take a shot on Justice Winslow, who could substantially raise their floor if he's able to be what they hoped he would be. He hasn't been there yet. You hope that a healthy offseason where he can develop his game and all those fun things can get him over the hump and he can be a little more productive this coming season. But that's going to be one of those things that you look for. Is Justice Winslow able to be what they brought him in to be? And if you have that prediction that he can be, then he'll be back and they'll give him investment in training camp and they'll see what he can do uh, through a new contract or simply just opting into the team option. But it's not like they have to make a decision that's going to cripple free agency for the next three years like happened with Parsons. Winslow is someone that if they think he can't play, they can simply say goodbye. The Justice Winslow trade was absolutely the right decision. I have no questions about that whatsoever. It might not work out, but what was the alternative, right? You're going to trade Andre Iguodala for the number 32 pick in the draft? I don't know. Like, I, I guess with Memphis's draft history, sure, any pick that's well, like above 45 is pretty valuable, but they took a home run swing, and it hasn't worked out yet. But it is so hard to get guys who can do what Justice Winslow does that when you have a chance to do that, I think you have to. Now, fortunately for them, I mean, you get Justice Winslow in part because you want somebody to defend Luka Doncic. Do you know what Luka shot against Phil and Brooks this year? I honestly do not. That's a good question. 25%. Five of there 20. you go. That's a tiny I knew that sample. It wasn't good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It, it's a tiny sample. Like, you, you can't really say, oh, Dylan Brooks is the Luka stopper because no such thing exists. He, he had some real success against Luka. What we saw in the Clippers series, though, was that defending Luka is not as simple as, like, oh, put your stopper on him and it'll be fine. No. 
really, it's about the five-man unit and really the big defender in the pick and roll. I think Jaron Jackson is about as well-equipped for that job as anybody, any young player in basketball. I do want to talk about his next contract, though, because I really have no idea what he's worth. He's played in 55% of his ga- of Memphis's regular season games since being drafted. He's never played more than 28 minutes a game. Here's a wild stat for you. In his regular season career, he has played 3,395 minutes. That's only seven more minutes than LeBron James played in his entire second season alone. Like, we really don't have much of a sample on Jaron right now. The upside is through the roof, but they have to make a decision right now about how much they're willing to pay him. Do you have a number in mind? Do you think it's the max? Where do you think they go there? I think they're going to max him out. I don't necessarily. I mostly think agree. I, I don't necessarily think I would do that. But I think that when you're in a market like Memphis, I go back to the Chandler Parsons deal. You know, hindsight is very convenient, right? People like to say how terrible that contract was in hindsight. You go back and look at CBS Sports, SB Nation, ESPN, anybody who covers the league that does free agent lists. Chandler Parsons was in the top 10 to 15 of I just love about that every list. When they did it. I he was 100 percent behind it. He was the biggest free agent signing in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies. And if you don't sign Chandler Parsons, then you might lose Mike Conley because Mike Conley was one of the loudest proponents of signing Chandler Parsons or loudest supporters of signing Chandler Parsons. So was that a disaster? Absolutely. And I'm with you. I supported the signing too. So it was wrong, but it was necessary. And I don't necessarily think that they, you know, it was a bad choice, but they shouldn't be crushed for it except for hindsight, because at the time it was the right decision. That was the best they could do. And my point is they had to overpay for Chandler Parsons. They had to, because Memphis is the market that it is. And Memphis people will listen to this and they'll yell at me on Twitter and go to the blog and say how I don't understand Memphis. Here's the deal. Memphis is one of the smallest, if not the smallest markets in the entire NBA. Does that mean that it's not worth anything? Of course it doesn't. I, I, the last time I lived in Memphis, Tennessee was in 2014. I still do this uh, because I love Memphis and I love the Memphis Grizzlies and they helped me connect to that city. I love that city. I consider it my second home today. Memphis is phenomenal. If you've never been there, you shouldn't have an opinion about it because anybody who's never been there doesn't understand it. If you've been there and you've stayed a, a decent amount of time there, you would love it too. And that's exactly what happens with the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies draft guys, the Grizzlies trade for guys, and those guys fall in love with Memphis and they resign. Like there has very rarely been a time where a guy that they acquired in either of those fashions, a big named player, left after being drafted by the team or being traded for by the team. Free agency, you're not going to acquire many guys because they probably don't understand Memphis and they have the freedom to choose a bigger market, a Los Angeles, a New York. Or they can choose to go to a smaller market, but they can play next to a Giannis, Donovan Mitchell, those types of players. And I think that that is the difference with Ja that's going to be fascinating to watch kind of play out over the years is John Morant and the Grizzlies are one of the most fun teams to follow right now, one of the most fun teams to watch. John Morant is a selfless superstar, and that's why where they are where they are. Does that make them more attractive as a free agent market? And that'll be an interesting question. But back to Jaron, the whole point of this is Memphis had to overpay to get Chandler Parsons. They're going to have to overpay, and I know it's restricted free agency. They don't have to offer him anything. They have to overpay to appease Jaron because more than Ja. I could see Jaron being the guy, that first guy that I mentioned, 
that says, you know what? Memphis isn't for me. And I don't know that that doesn't make him a bad person. It's just that Jaron has a lot of different interests. He's very into fashion. You know, his dad has connections to New York. There is an erroneous uh, post from the New York Post, I think it was, that, that talked about Jaron being a, a target of the Knicks potentially in restricted free agency. Uh, you know, there's there are things out there that while Memphis still has control because of contract structure, Jaron leaving would not be as shocking as, say, Jaw leaving. Because Jaw Morant is, you know, he's a South Carolina guy. He was in the Ox gyms at these AAU tournaments. He played at Murray State. It's not like he was ever a dude that really was in those top market, top program. You know, Jaron played at Michigan State. There's a little bit of, uh, of luster to that. So I, I think that they're going to have to overpay. And you're going to be paying for what you hope he's going to be. Because if he plays to his capacity on both ends of the floor, he's the best two-way player on the Grizzlies. And that includes John Moran. Because John will never have the defensive potential that Jaron does in terms of his switchability, his ability to stick on guards and wings for expend, extended periods of time. You know, we talk about Luka stoppers. Jaron, in theory, could be a Luka stopper. Again, that's theoretically speaking. He hasn't shown that yet. But his length, his, his ability physically to move laterally, he has that capacity. He has the ability to be an elite rim defender. And he showed some of that even this season. You know, he struggled in defensive spots some places. But in terms of steals and blocks, he was really strong in terms of his percentages when he came back. And especially through, you know, the key parts of the play-in and leading up to the play-in. So I, I believe that they're going to give him a max extension. I wish that they would do like a Jalen Brown style extension. I think that makes more sense. But I think that because it's Memphis and because of the way things are and you want to keep Jaron because you believe in what he can be long term, I think they're going to have to max extend him. And I think he'd be silly to not accept it this summer if they offer it. I've talked to a couple of people about this and the consensus that I seem to be getting is he'll probably get the max, but it'll be a no bells and whistles max. Like there won't be a player option on the fifth year. There won't be Rose Rule raises built in. Like, I think it'll be a pretty standard five-year, 25% max. That obviously can go in a number of directions. When Jamal Murray signed his five-year max, a lot of people were saying, this deal is crazy. Why would Denver give it to him on the first day of free agency? Well, that looks pretty good right now. I mean, torn ACL aside, Jamal Murray is worth every penny. That's the bet you're making if you're Memphis. And I think given the upside, I would make that same bet. I mean, I would rather they sign him for less than 25%. But all things considered, number one, he's irreplaceable. Like, if you lose him, you're not going to have a high enough pick with John Morant on your team to get another athlete like that. I think there are holes in his game, right? Like, he still fouls too much. He can still get lost in pick and roll sometimes. But, like, the defensive IQ is steadily improving. Like, I think athletically, Bam Adebayo is maybe a good comp. Like, he really can do almost everything on defense. He's going to be one of the best two-way big men in basketball. I just think you do what it takes. You just you just do it. You swallow the pill, and you say, you know what? If we sign him to this contract right now, we will have him under team control for six years, and we're betting that six years from now, we are going to be so good that he's not going to want to leave. I don't like to leave it up to chance. I don't want to do the shorter extension. We're like, oh, he has a player option after the third year, and like, Maybe he gets antsy and maybe he asks out after the third year. I don't want to go that route. I just say lock him up. I want to go back to Winslow for a second, though. As we've discussed, there are two inflection points here. 
If they waive Justice Winslow now, I have them at around $27 million in space before the number 17 pick. So you're looking at something like $25 million in space this offseason. There isn't really anybody that interesting that I'd want to spend that money on. Like, Norman Powell, maybe, but he's kind of small for them. Evan Fournier is not really a good enough defender. Will Barton, kind of old. Like, there's nobody out there. Maybe Duncan Robinson, but rather they get somebody who's more defensive-oriented. There's nobody out there that I think really makes sense for them. But you mentioned 2022 as the likelier point where they kind of reshape this roster. As of right now, they only have $45 million committed to that, to the 2022 offseason. That's Dylan Brooks, John Morant, DeAnthony Melton, Brandon Clark, John Conchar, Desmond Bain, Jonte Porter, and Xavier Tillman. You probably factor in another $27, $28 million for Jaron Jackson. And beyond that, like if you're willing to let Valanciunas go, if you're willing to let Kyle Anderson go, if you're willing to let Grace Allen go, that is max space. That is full-on max. You can sign anybody you want. You can sign multiple guys. 2022, if you're looking for a wing, that is just paradise for you as a free agent destination. Aaron Gordon, free agent 2022. Marcus Smart, free agent 2022. Robert Covington, free agent 2022. Dorian Finney-Smith, free agent 2022. TJ Warren, free agent 2022. And then I think the most interesting one out here, Zach Levine, free agent 2022. If you're looking for an offensive star to put next to John Morant, a shot maker, I can't imagine anybody better than Zach Levine. So I'm inclined to agree with you. I think 2022 is the year. My question is, what do you think they're trying to do in 2022 free agency? I think that in 2022 free agency, they're not going to really prioritize signing a free agent. I think they're going to try to trade for somebody. And I, I think, again, like Zach Randolph comes to mind, right? They trade for Zach. He was kind of a reclamation project over a decade ago now, and and the rest is history. He's the he's viewed as the greatest Grizzlies player of all time. Um, if Zach Randolph were to make the Hall of Fame somehow, he'd go in as a Grizzly. Uh, I I believe that that will be the move. They will try to trade for someone because they'll have the Jazz pick. They still have that Golden State pick. They have all of their own first round picks. They they have the capacity to be able to use those resources into cap space and trade for a disgruntled star if they come along or, you know, like what Toronto did with Kawhi Leonard and make that swing. Even if it's just for a year, you're making the bet that you can compete for a championship in that season. And again, if you're the Grizzlies, similar to Paul George, and obviously it went south um, in in Oklahoma City, uh, if you're the Grizzlies, you're making that bet that if you can just get the guy in the building, if you can get him in the city of Memphis, if you can get him around those fans and around the culture, the standard that they're building there, they talk about the standard all the time on these press calls, you're making the bet that they're going to want to stay. And I could see them doing something along those lines for a Bradley Beal, who I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he will be one year left a, on. Well, he is ahead. a 2022 free agent, but I think we assume that eventually Washington is going to kind of have a come to Jesus moment where they realize like this isn't working out. So I could see Beal being one of those guys uh, that they try to take a swing for. And it's going to take a pretty big package uh, of picks and talent to, to make that move. But again, if you're Memphis and you have a Brandon Clark and you have a DeAnthony Melton and you have those types of pieces along with three or four first round picks, You know, I'm not just saying those two alone. It would have to be some other combination of things. But you have the capacity to go get that guy. Like, I, I, it's not, 
the most, it's not the number one with a bullet spot. You know, New Orleans has more stuff to offer. You could argue Denver has more stuff to offer. Uh, but at the same time, Memphis is in that conversation. Golden State, you could argue, has more stuff to offer. But when the trade deadline article from Bobby Marks came out for ESPN, Memphis was one of the three teams mentioned. I think Golden State and maybe New Orleans were the other two. Uh, so it, it's not far-fetched for Memphis to make that kind of a deal. And I think that it's easier for them to do it in 2022 because of exactly what you just said. Now, if Beal is a free agent, obviously that's different and that changes the calculus some. But uh, I, I think that 2022 makes a lot of sense. For 2021, I could see them trying to trade up into the lottery, like I mentioned earlier. Try to. I have change. a big trade for you if you want. Oh, I, please, by all means, let me know. I think this is going to piss off. There is a certain subsection of Memphis Twitter that really dislikes how much I tend to dislike Jonas Valanciunas. It's not that I dislike him so much as, like, I, I think we see this every year. Drop coverage, big men, like, tend to struggle in the playoffs. But the Kings need a center, and they're just trying to make the playoffs. They don't really care what happens when they get there. So here's my offer. Number 17 and Jonas Valanciunas for the Kings pick, which right now is slated to be number nine. If it jumps up into the top four, that's obviously not going to happen. But let's say it stays at number nine. What do you think about that? I don't hate it. I, I mean, I, I don't dislike Jonas Valanciunas, and I think that you can make a legitimate all, uh, argument that he was their best player this year. I think terms, he probably was. <laughs> in terms of his production. You know, you could count on him for rebounds. You could count on him for post-scoring. His drop coverage at the rim didn't kill them. It was the stuff on the perimeter that killed them, especially against the Jazz. And I, if you don't want to pay him, because he's, he's only making $14 million in his last year of his contract, he's probably due for a raise. If you don't want to pay him that money, like you, I could see him being bumped up to a, a Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon style of contract in that $18 million or so range. If you don't want to pay him that money, then get on from him now. And if you could move up to nine, you're definitely getting whatever big wing you want between a, a Corey Kispert. I know he's not a, a true big wing, but you understand my, my point. Yes. When, De, when you have DeAnthony Melton in your rotation as a wing player, not a point guard, but as a wing – you need a little more size. Same thing with Desmond Bain. Bain is fantastic, but he, he is undersized in terms of wingspan especially. So they need a Moses Moody. They need a Zaire Williams, a Corey Kispert, theoretically. Um, they, they need a guy like that who has a little bit more size to him, a Jalen Johnson from Duke. You know, those kinds of guys would make sense for the Grizzlies at this stage of their rebuild because they're still adding another talented player. They're still adding another piece that could really help them as a scorer, as a, again, a player with size on the perimeter. So I, I, I'm more inclined to try to do something, like I said, with Indiana or Charlotte to try to get to 11 or 13. Again, if the lottery holds um, and they don't move up, like Charlotte could potentially be interested in, you know, a Grayson Allen type and a first round pick in addition to 17 overall, like a heavily protected first later on down the road. I think that could get you from 17 to 11. I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad deal. Or, you know, even DeAnthony Melton. You know, Melton was fantastic, and I really like DeAnthony. But if you – that's a very tradable contract, and that can be looked at as a as an asset. You know, he's 22 years old. He's only a year older than John Jaron. So if you want to tag him to something and move up into the late lottery with 17, um, you replace him with a bigger wing, and now you've got more size there. On the perimeter. So I would prefer because they have a plethora of guys there, right? You got Bain, you got Allen, you've got Melton. One of those dudes that isn't Bain, because I think Bain has such a valuable contract being that 30th overall pick in the draft. 
by the way, side note, it's so nice to beat the Boston Celtics in a trade after what happened with Jeff Green. That that was wonderful, uh, wonderful revenge. Was the Jeff Desmond Green Bain trade really that bad in hindsight, though? Because wasn't Romeo Langford? No, Romeo Langford was the Kings pick. I guess Aaron Neesmith was the Grizzlies pick. Right. That trade doesn't look so bad in hindsight. That's no. not the net trade. It doesn't look as bad anymore, but it, lo- it was pretty bad in Memphis. It was, yeah. again, we talked about that earlier in the show. Uh, there, there's a large segment of the fan base that despised Jeff Green. But anyway, I digress. Um, well, Memphis is not the only team that fans who feel right. Like. Yeah, the list is the long. Thing to I always go with is the road to hell is paved with teams that traded for Jeff Green. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's sort of how I feel. Every contan- every contender during that like 2010 to 2016 era, at some point, every single one of them traded a first round pick for Jeff Green, and every single one of them regretted it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And I could, you know, we talked about Jonas Valanciunas. We talked about Grayson Allen because Grayson Allen is due a contract extension. And he's gone from fringe NBA player at the time of the Jazz trade for Mike Conley to a fringe starter on a team that made the playoffs in Memphis because uh, Grayson Allen was the, the main player that replaced Jaron in the starting lineup while Jackson Jr. was out. So uh, I, I think you could say that Grayson is due for a mid-level exception-esque pay increase in free agency and do you want to pay him that when you have Bain and Melton under contract for the next few years so there are guys on the on the roster that I think make more sense to move than Jonas but I could see the argument for that and a lot of it comes down to how sold you are on Jaron Jackson Jr. possibly being a five and I think that's a fair question because obviously he's not the strongest rebounder right now but in terms of his frame and what he's physically capable of doing, he projects well as a five, theoretically, again. Um, Xavier Tillman, obviously, he has a larger role if you part with Jonas. Are, are you bought into that? Brandon Clark did not have as strong of a season this year as he did his rookie season. But yeah, that's again, what that I was injury to ask. That would, so, Say it again. How attached are you to Brandon Clark? Because I think Charlotte would absolutely love Brandon Clark. See, I, I think that. I talked to several folks in the national media because I would float out ideas with Brandon Clark possibly being available. And people would message me and say that they had spoken with folks in the Grizzlies organization. So this is what third hand information, I guess, but that Brandon Clark's untouchable. Now that was before this season really kind of got into the woods and, you know, Brandon struggled. Um, But they said Brandon was untouchable. So is that still true? I don't know if it is or not. Um, I, I always saw Jaron at the five and Brandon as the four kind of being the future. And, you know, obviously the injuries to both of them have clouded that some. But I, I would, like I said, I think that I would be willing, like Brandon Clark in 17 should easily move you up with Charlotte, right? Like that should be a pretty simple thing to happen because Brandon's that good. If they needed something more than that, I well, certainly wouldn't be interested. As I'd compared to... I would say, honestly, if you're Charlotte and you could trade number 11 straight up for Brandon Clark, like, I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, no, I could see that. And and Memphis does have depth in their front court. I think that trade makes more sense if you plan on extending Jonas Valanciunas. Like, if you're going to bring Jonas back on you know, a three-year, let's just say, $50 million deal or something like that, and Memphis has done a good job structuring their deals, they're all almost all descending. So say it's like 18, 17, 16. I didn't do the exact math on that. But if, if it's something along those lines for Jonas and you just want to keep him there to to help Jaron be that four for the next few years, 
then does it make sense having Brandon Clark on the roster? I, I There's probably an argument that it doesn't, especially maybe you want to extend Kyle Anderson. And again, Kyle's probably going to cost you more than he has with this recent contract. He'll probably be in the 12 to $14 million range. So I don't see both of those guys coming back, Jaron or Jonas, excuse me, and Kyle. I think one of them will return. And, you know, maybe the other one is the trade pit, you know, the trade piece this offseason to try to get up into the end of the lottery. I think that's potentially uh, an option, too. I think Jaron is a center in the way that Anthony Davis is a center, in which you probably know that it makes more sense. Like you're going to be a better team if he's playing center. But you probably, A, want to re- preserve him physically. And B, you know, it kind of helps to have that heft, to have like a bigger guy who can handle the rebounding, who can, you know, pound with centers, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's more like you're going to play a center, whether it's Jonas or somebody else, in the regular season. And then when you get to late-stage playoff games, Jaron is just going to quietly scale up as far as center minutes go. But you mentioned something, like, just in general, every player we're going through, you're saying, oh, they have to extend this guy or they have to make a decision on him. Well, that's kind of the problem with how well they've built this team. They have 14 players under contract for next year. That almost never happens, right? Like, you almost never go into an offseason with a nearly full roster where, like, as it stands right now, they'll pick at number 17, and that's it. They just they don't have any space for another guy. I think there's a chance Justice Winslow gets waived. I think there's a chance they move on from Jonte Porter. But, like, if they want to add people this offseason, where are they going to find the roster spots? Well, I think Jonte Porter, you, you hit the nail on the head with that one. And, and I hate it for Jonte because, again, we talk a lot about theory. And I, the idea of Jonte Porter is a very good one. But I just don't see it happening, at least not right now. So maybe they, they wave him and try to convince him to, to go to the, the hustle, the G League team. Now, obviously, that may not happen. And Jonte will just go explore his options. And, and that would make total sense. I couldn't fault him for that. But. Uh, I, I could see Jonte Porter getting waived and them making Killian Tilly uh, the new Jonte Porter in terms of a full NBA contract that would open up a two-way contract. And I could also see them moving on from Sean McDermott, who, you know, friend of GBB Live, our podcast over at grizzlybearblues.com. Uh, Sean McDermott came on our, our podcast network, but I, I don't. I don't know that he makes sense as a two-way player. He makes sense as a member of the hustle flat out. So maybe you wave him, sign him to an exhibit 10 kind of contract in the off season. And, and you have him in your, in your G league feeder system. And, and the Grizzlies have done a good job with that feeder system, by the way. Uh, so that that's something to keep perspective on too. Yuta Watanabe, uh, Freddie Gillespie, you know, those are guys that. Yuta Watanabe is a favorite of this podcast. Yes. He is. And, he plays every minute. Like he's chasing the love of his life through an airport. That's the way I would describe it. And he did that in Memphis. You know, he just wasn't, he didn't fit what they were trying to do. I'm very happy for Yuta that he's had the success that he's had. I I think that if they're going to make a move, again, it it makes sense to do it to try to get into the lottery. And and I'm not saying they try to get up to number four or they try to get the the, the Minnesota Timberwolves pick. Uh, That's not realistic. They're not going to give up what it will take to do that. I could see them trying to get to that late lottery range because, again, that's where you can get a Corey Kispert. That's where you can get a Moses Moody, a Zaire Williams. Uh, I believe it's Zaire Williams. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, You could get a Jalen Johnson. You know, there's multiple wings that fit the the frame of what they're looking for. That may not be there at 17. Is it possible that Kispert falls? Yeah, it's possible, especially because, again, the Grizzlies are really good at that, right? Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain. 
you know, these older guys that don't have great bodies for, they don't have great potential in the eyes of the NBA. They're just really good NBA players or they're really good college players. Excuse me. You know, they fall and Memphis is like, Oh, okay, thank you. And then they come and they have good seasons and everybody's like, Oh, who could have seen this coming? Well, they were good at basketball. And I think that that is definitely the way that this Grizzlies front office has drafted the last two years. They don't care as much about the upside. They want good basketball players. And they've had success with that to this point. So, you know, a Kispert makes a lot of sense. A Moody makes a lot of sense in that way. Uh, I really do believe that the best move for this season is to take one of those lower rotation guys like a Grayson Allen or, you know, Grayson Allen just stands out in my mind because of his contract situation. Grayson had a good year. I don't want to make it sound like he wasn't a good player because he was. He did what Taylor Jenkins wanted him to do very well. He shot a crap ton of threes. And he defended without fouling and that, you know, Taylor Jenkins could trust him to run the schemes of the Grizzlies the way that he wants them run. So I Grayson makes the most sense to me, but it also makes sense because if you don't want to extend Kyle Anderson, if you don't want to extend Jonas Valanciunas, they have options as to how they can get to that end result of getting into the late lottery. Like your Kings trade, there's an argument to be made for that. You're going to make the JV hive mad and, a lot of folks are going to yell at you on Twitter, but there's an argument to be made and you made it well. You know, there, there there's potential there that would make sense for both sides with a Sacramento Memphis trade. So I think that they're going to take 17. I think that they're going to take one of those guys, somebody that's either due for an extension or, you know, they don't see as a long term fit. You know, Melton could be an example of that. Melton never got a chance to start. It was always Desmond Bain or Grayson Allen. It was never DeAnthony Melton. So maybe they don't see Melton is a long-term fit, but again, he's a young player with a very good contract. So a team's going to want that guy on their roster, at least one, if not more. So if I had to rank them, I would say I would want Grayson Allen to be at the top of somebody that I'd want to move on from, then probably Jonas Valanciunas, then probably Kyle Anderson, and then probably Melton. And of, of those top three, Again, Allen makes the most sense, but if you don't want to overpay Jonas, if you don't want to overpay Kyle, or if you think you'd have to to keep them, then it makes sense to get a resource for them now. And, like, uh, again, Sacramento, you're kind of in competition with them, but not really. Uh, and I hate to say that for Kings fans, but it's, you know, Memphis certainly has a brighter future at the moment. Um, Jonas would obviously make them better. Charlotte and Indiana are in the opposite conference, so it doesn't really hurt you in that regard. So there's there's avenues to getting into the end of the lottery, and I do believe that Memphis has enough talent and resource pick-wise to be able to do that without completely emptying their clip and not being able to be a player in the 2022 market at the same time. I think if you're going to trade DeAnthony Melton, the time to do it is now. Because, I like, look, I am very much a D'Anthony Melton optimist. I don't think he's going to shoot over 40% from three again next year. I think that was, I think he's due for a little bit of regression. I'm not saying I think he's a bad shooter. I think he's improved quite a bit in that, in that area. But ultimately I think there's something to be said to the idea of his value might never be higher than it is right now. He's got the same thing about Kyle Anderson. You can't. Yeah. I mean, the difference is Kyle is older. So teams aren't going to see the upside as much, but with Melton, I think there are teams that would look at him and say, like, he is a long-term 3-and-D starter. If we have a bigger point guard, like, we might really have something there. I've got one more fake trade for you, and then I've got one broader question, then we'll close on that. My last fake trade, this guy isn't a star, but he fills the big wing defender need, and he showed a lot more as a scorer this year than he had in the past. I'm going to offer Detroit 
Desmond Bain, Kyle Anderson, and we can figure out which pick, but I'll say one first-round pick for Jeremy Grant. What do you think? Oh, first off, I guess I wonder why why Detroit would do that. Um, my, and again, my response is, and we don't know this for sure, but number one, he's got two years left on his deal, and he is he went to Detroit for non-basketball reasons. So maybe he does want to stay there for his whole career. We don't know. I would argue when you have a guy who almost made the all-star team who has two years left on his deal on a bad team, you get kind of worried that maybe in a year he isn't super happy and wants to go play for a winner again. Or when he becomes a free agent in two years, maybe he looks elsewhere. The other reason is if Detroit wants to tank, getting younger is pretty helpful, right? Like Jeremy Grant is probably the biggest reason they didn't have the worst record in the NBA last year. Sure. No, I think that's fair in terms of how good Grant is. But I guess my second question would be, what position does he play on the Grizzlies? Because I have seen Grant as more of a four. And if I'm wrong on that, correct me. If he can play the three, then it's a... he can play both, but he's more of a four. So so you're essentially trading for a better version of Kyle Anderson, is the way that I would perceive that. Because that's exactly what Kyle is now. Kyle is better at the four, but he plays at the three when Jaron is in the lineup. And Memphis this year was better with Kyle at the four than with Kyle at the three. So I I don't know that I like that trade. I don't know that I make it. I think that if you include Jonas instead of Kyle, maybe it makes more sense. Because now you have Kyle coming off the bench. You have Grant as your four, and you have Jackson as your five. I think that would be more attractive to me. Um, But I, I don't know that I make that deal. And people will probably hear this and think I'm crazy. Grant is great. Like, like he's a very good player. I, I I think it's the players that you have included in the trade that make it a little more difficult for me. If Grant is better as a four, I would rather it be one of the Grizzlies front court pieces that get shipped out. Uh, then, then, and again, Kyle is technically part of the front court, but uh, if Kyle is a three slash four and Grant is a three slash four, you're giving up Bain, who I think is one of the best value contracts in the NBA these next three years and a first round pick to acquire a guy who's an upgrade on Kyle. And it still clouds your front court some. So I think you might have the, the basic structure, but I would rather it include someone like a Valanchunas uh, if you're going to go that route, because again, that allows for you to maintain Kyle keeps that versatility defensively. And it, it clears up those minutes a little bit and allows for both Grant and Kyle to play a spot that they're better at at this stage of their careers. My theory on positions in basketball is that 90% of players would be more valuable if they moved one position up. Like I think 90% of power forwards are better as centers. I think it's probably 90%. true. Right. But my theory with Jeremy Grant is that threes are so rare that even if you're better as a four, getting somebody who's capable of playing the three has so much inherent value defensively that even if it's not ideal, if it's not optimal, you kind of do it. But I, I do agree with the logic there. I, I don't think it's a perfect trade, and I think they'd rather get somebody younger. But if you have a chance to get somebody who can not only defend the LeBrons and the Durants of the world, but also maybe give you 18 to 20 points, it's something worth looking into, but I want to close on a big quick, big picture question. It's opening night of the 2022-23 season. Predict Memphis's starting lineup. Um, I think this Jaw will be there. This is after the roster makeover. I think Jaw will be there. I think Jaron will be there. One of the two of Jonas and Kyle will be there. And at this point, I think it will probably be Jonas. 
I like Kyle, but I think that they're going to see Kyle as because, again, we talked about Jay Crowder earlier. Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill were getting minutes in front of Kyle Anderson when Kyle was injured. Kyle has obviously bounced back and he, he has, you know, recovered nicely from his nerve issue and his shoulder. And, and maybe this version of Kyle is sustainable. I don't know that they believe that. I think they're higher on Jonas than they are on Kyle. Uh, so I I could see Kyle being gone. I. Gosh, that's tough. I, I'm going to I'm going to swing for the fence and say that Bradley Beal. Um, I, I don't know that that is logically sound. Uh, I, that would be, you know, a perfect situation to have Beal in that spot. Uh, you know, uh, Zach Levine in free agency makes a lot of sense, but you know, he also could go to New York and, and enjoy that lifestyle and that sort of stuff because they'll probably still have cap space then. Um, I, I, I I'm going to go with my heart more than my head and say that you're going to have John Morant, Bradley Beal, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas. That's going to be the starters on opening night in 2022. And again, before people yell at me, it, it, that, that is more heart than head. But I do think that starting five plus the pieces that would be on the roster if Beal leaves in free agency and just comes as a free agent, even if Memphis has to trade for him, they have enough in place where that's going to be a, a top four team in the Western Conference that season. And if you're a top four team in a conference – you're in the conversation for a championship run if things break the right way. And John Morant will only be 23. So I think that's a, that's an optimistic way to look at it. I think Bradley Beal is a possibility. I wouldn't call him a likelihood. I'm going to throw right. out my version of this. I think we talked earlier about Dylan Brooks being the heart and soul of the team. Who was the heart and soul of the team before? It was Tony Allen. Well, where did Memphis get Tony Allen? They got Boston. him in free agency from Boston. I think they had a lot of success signing a Boston Garden free agency. My prediction is that they signed Marcus Smart in 2020 free agency. So the starting lineup would be John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Marcus Smart, or maybe Desmond Bain over Dylan Brooks, depending. Because Marcus can defend threes. That's not an issue. You can either align offensively or defensively, whatever. You re-sign Jonas, and Jaron is your four, and that's your starting five. But you keep enough in the tank that down the line, like I think one of the benefits to re-signing Jonas is, well, if a star becomes available, now we have a big salary to trade for him. So that would be my prediction. I think that's the where realisticness and I would agree. upside meet. So that's going to be my two years out prediction. But of course, a lot can change in that time. Joe, I, I have kept your, you way Yours too is much more likely than mine. Yes. I will say I, think I hope for Bradley Beal because that would be awesome. But I think yours is much more likely. It is more likely, and I love the fit. Like, I think Dylan yeah. Brooks and Marcus Smart would love each other. Like, who are the two guys in the Mighty Ducks movies? Like, in the second, like, the two the Bass kind brothers. of bullies? The Bash Brothers. I think Smart and Brooks would kind of feel yeah. a little bit like that. So, I think, I think there's a something. lot of upside there, but I think it's more realistic. But, Joe, I have taken up way too much of your time. This was an absolute pleasure. I would love to have you back down the line. But until then, where can people find your work? Absolutely. They can find our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. We're part of SB Nation's uh, network. Uh, We cover the Memphis Grizzlies. I have a great team of writers over there. It's not just me, uh, but I'm very fortunate. I'll be going into year six as the site manager there this coming season. Um, uh, We'll have five podcasts that we do on a weekly basis when the season starts coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, We'll have player reviews. We'll have draft stuff, obviously, draft coverage. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. I retweet all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm a big believer in our team over at GBB. I, 
Uh, I'm biased, but I don't think anybody covers the Grizzlies organization like we do. We even cover Grizz Gaming. We have a guy that's on the beat for the Memphis Hustle. Uh, they have their own media outlet, Grind City Media, and I think we cover the organization better than they do. So uh, I'm, I'm biased, but GBB is uh, the best place to go for complete Memphis Grizzlies coverage. GrizzlyBearBlues.com, at SBN Grizzlies on Twitter. I always say there are like three or four teams out there that I consume way more of than I probably should, just as like an, a time efficiency thing, because their media coverage is so good. Memphis is one of them. Denver is one of them, and Indiana is one of them. Those are the three teams that I just find myself reading way more about than I probably should. So everybody, please go read Grizzly Bear Blues. They do fantastic work there covering all facets of the Grizzlies. As for us, we will be back later in the week. Colin will be back with me, I'm going to say, Thursday, Wednesday, one of those days. Until then, go like, go subscribe, go review, go do whatever it is you need to do to get people to listen to this. And otherwise, we will see you in a couple of days. Farewell.